so, Lord, we give ourselves over to you, God, and we thank you for what you've done so far. We thank you for the power of worship. We thank you that you can break and have broken chains off of us, Lord. We thank you, God, for your word that has come to us. Lord, we thank you for the the word from David that we're to hope in you, that our soul is safe as we hope and trust in you. And God, we thank you that, that, um, that you've done <laughs> good work so far uh, in our gathering today. And God, we pray now that you would open our ears, that we could hear what you want us to hear, that we would have takeaways from you from this teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God. Guys, what we're doing is we are continuing the series on our relationship to the Holy Spirit, particularly uh, in the area of not resisting, offending, sinning against, grieving, quenching the Holy Spirit. So we have all of those verbs indicating negative activities toward the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity the triune God, who is the immediate presence of God with us. So when someone mentions or says something like, I heard the Lord say, or I felt the Lord prompt me, or whisper to me, or something like that, almost always that person has been communicating with the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that the Father and the Son cannot speak to us, certainly they can, but I think that it is the assignment, the role of the Holy Spirit to be the immediate communicator of God's heart and mind to us. So uh, we, we are examining this because we fully believe that God is, is pouring out His Spirit on the earth and will increase the process of pouring out His Spirit on the earth. Last night at Holy Spirit Night, Nick taught us and, and did a, a great job talking about the uh, amazing uh, works of God that are occurring in parts of the world that, that we don't normally know about. Parts of Africa and uh, Asia. Uh, huge numbers of people are coming to the Lord on a daily basis Amazing miracles are happening, and uh, it's good to know that we're part of a, a great enterprise called the kingdom of God that is surging across the earth, and we're part of that. We want to play our part here in this tri-state area, uh, and, um, and we intend to do that. So as we, as we move on in this, it's really important that, of course, as we always teach, that we learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, that, that, we, that we learn to respond to Him in that window of response time that He gives to us, uh, and that we, uh, that we really are in step with Him. There's a, there's a translation of the Bible, I think the, um, a place in Ephesians that says something, something like uh, stay in alignment with or stay in step with or maybe a better term would be stay in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit rolls out the kingdom of God through the church, so we are the agents of doing that. He's the cause, but we're the instruments. And 
He moves through us and the kingdom of God is expanded. So today we're going to be talking about four verses in 1 Thessalonians 19 through 22 where Paul uh, is addressing an issue that um, commentators are not sure uh, of the context of his address. So he's speaking to the church of Thessalonica and he's talking about the issue of not quenching the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you'll see a little bit later on when we get into this that the word quench has a very specific meaning and it means to extinguish or to put out or to smother. So, some translations... You can go on to the next slide. Some translations actually as we go on to the next slide. Okay, so the NAS translation, New American Standard, is the most literal, word-for-word translation of the Scripture that you can purchase in English. So the exact wording in the Greek, as it's communicated to us, is do not quench the Spirit. But in today's NIV, which is... um, a thought-to-thought translation, not a word-to-word translation. So, so what the translators try to do is they take the meaning that they believe is being communicated to us by the author of the Greek text, in this case Greek in the Old Testament Hebrew, and they give to us a contemporary meaning, something that's going to make it more clear rather than a literal word-for-word communication. So in today's NIV, we have an interesting wording of the same thought, really, in NAS, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Now, that's, that, that particular way of understanding that verse is contained within the word quench, because that has to do with um, either uh, quenching thirst or quenching fire. So in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, the word quench is used, but it's used always in relationship, or almost always in relationship to, to those two areas, quenching thirst or quenching fire. So in this case, it's the Spirit's fire. That's why it's been translated that way. The exact wording is don't quench the Spirit, but the meaning of it is the Spirit contains fire. There is a heavenly fire in the nature of the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually... Um, is said to convey that to us by John uh, the, the Baptist when, he, when John says, uh, one is coming after me whose um, sandals I'm not fit to untie and this one who's coming after me will baptize, will saturate us in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And so those two concepts are allied together in this surging of the power of God that comes when we're filled or immersed in the Holy Spirit. There's a fire element. And so this is what Paul's alluding to. He's saying that the Spirit of God working among us works as fire. He works to warm. He works to cleanse. He works to illuminate. He works to empower. When you think of electricity, which of course wasn't available as knowledge back in the biblical days, 
electricity. But electricity is, a, is in a way a form of concentrated fire. And electricity has power to surge and accomplish things. So in the Holy Spirit, there is a power of fire. And that's what Paul is addressing here. And he says, it's so important that when you gather together as a church, that you don't extinguish, you don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and this passage is really connected. These four verses are actually connected together in context. So do not quench the Holy Spirit is connected to... Do not despise prophetic utterances. The two are connected together. You see that semicolon? This is the old English teacher in me coming out here. A semicolon actually is a punctuation mark that indicates that both parts of the sentence on either side of the semicolon are connected together. Right? They're sort of separate, but they're related together. That's why it's a semicolon, not a period. So do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. So quenching the Spirit is equivalent to, Paul says, despising prophetic utterances. Now we don't know from reading 1 Thessalonians whether Paul was addressing a church where it was, this church was actually quenching the Spirit by despising prophetic utterances. So was he saying this to um, cure something that was going on that shouldn't be? Or was he saying it as a general admonition to the church to prevent this in case it would possibly start to happen? We don't know. But all we know is it's come down to us that this is a command from the Lord. So this is part of our relationship to the Holy Spirit. We have to be sensitive not to put out the fire of, throw cold water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the primary way that Paul says not to quench the Holy Spirit is by despising prophetic utterances of prophecy. Now, I also want to expand that out in our thinking because Paul, the same one who said that we are to zealously desire prophecy, also said zealously desire all the spiritual gifts. So it seems to me reasonable that if we aren't to despise prophesying, that we're not to despise all the spiritual gifts either. So, This is now, for this church, you know, I'm so thankful that this church is this church. I think I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. Because you guys wouldn't be in this church if you didn't want to see the spiritual gifts exercised, right? You just wouldn't be. You might visit once or twice, but you wouldn't stay. (laughs) So... So I don't think we're really very guilty of this, but I think it's important that, that we understand it. And, and, and I want to just awaken you even more to the power of prophecy. You know, prophecy is God, the Holy Spirit, is communicating to us through human instruments the mind or the heart of God. And it's not Scripture, right? When New Testament prophecy occurs, it's not writing new scripture. It never is. But it is a communication of what God feels and what God wants us to know in very personal and very specific terms. It's wonderful. How many in this room have been honestly amazingly blessed by prophecy? All right. So Lynn and I want to tell you a story. Come on up, Lynn. We want to tell you a story of the, the, actually, I think it's probably the first time we were ever amazingly blessed by the power of prophecy. And if we had been in a church, we were in a spirit-filled Baptist church at the time when we were first saved. And thank God for spirit-filled Baptist people. 
because they didn't quench the Holy Spirit. They believed in prophecy, and so we were raised in the faith from the beginning, believing that God spoke personally to human beings today through other human beings. And so we heard about this guy in Baltimore who happened to be a Southern Baptist pastor. He was still in the Southern Baptist denomination, but this guy was as close to being a prophet as I have ever met. And you'll know him, Charlotte, Frank Downing. Yeah, and some of you maybe know of this guy. He's with the Lord now, but this guy had an incredible prophetic ministry. Lynn and I were just, <laughs> were just married and... I want to say something about Reverend Downing. Say something about Reverend Downing. Reverend Downing was so accurate in his prophetic words that he would give people that the police station got wind of it and started using him, asking him to pray about murder cases that they could not solve. And he would speak to them and tell them where to find, like, the body or who did it or things like that. He was so accurate that the police understood that he was the real deal. Yep. And, and one of the things that we, we actually went to him after we were first married, and, and I think it was about maybe two or three months into our marriage. You were pregnant with our first child. And we did not tell him about the pregnancy. We didn't tell him anything about our life at all. But uh, <laughs> double of me is way too much, I think. <laughs> but we did not tell him. We, and we do that with prophecy. We practice that here, by the way. Those of, those of you who are trained here know that we uh, will not ask any natural information from people we're praying over prophetically because we, we don't want that. We want it to be directly from the Lord. And so that's where we kind of learned it from, from this guy. So we went in, we sat in his presence, and we said, would you seek the Lord for us? We were really young, really scared. Of course, I thought that he was going to unveil all my deep, dark sins, right? Which he didn't do, thank the Lord. He was very loving, very kind. I'm sure he knew them, but no, nah, he probably didn't. Probably the Lord didn't tell him. But um, so we want to tell you, like, like, at least four of the things that, that he prophesied over us that were just incredible. And this is just the power of prophecy. Just, just kind of a cool story. Go ahead, Lynn. Well, the first thing, I was six weeks pregnant. I was very, very scared that possibly this child would be damaged um, because I'd done some drugs. And I, I was just scared. And I really, and plus the fact we were living on a budget of $100 a month that we shared with five other people. And um, we weren't, I wasn't eating properly. And, you know, just those thoughts. This baby's going to be wrecked when it's born. So we decided, that was one reason we went to Reverend Downing, but we decided not to tell him that I was pregnant. And um, I didn't look pregnant. I was 88 pounds. Um, I didn't look pregnant at all. (laughs) And so there we are sitting there, and he starts off, Reverend Downing starts off and goes, oh my, a son son is born to you. And then he went, he went like this, said, Lynn, he's perfectly healthy. And that that won my heart right away. I said, wow, there's something to this. So do you want to... And then... Oops. I keep... No, you can't, you can't use this. I know, it's yours. The, I, uh, then he saw a vision of me in a car driving a U-Haul moving van. And he said that, and he said, you guys are going to be moving soon. You guys are going to be traveling. You guys are going to be moving soon. And we didn't know that at the time, right? Yeah, it was really a wonderful thing. Have you ever gotten a prophecy before something bad happened and it just made it all much clearer and you felt better about the whole thing? We got this prophecy before our church told us to leave. 
And um, so, you know, and when they told us, I'm not saying it didn't hurt that they told us to leave, but because we had already been told by God to leave, it made it so much better that we could just go, it's time to leave. That's okay. So we left. So we left. All right. And, um, and then a third part of the prophetic revelation time was that he was quiet for a while and he was kind of, you could tell he was listening and kind of looking in what God was showing him. And he said, you guys are going to be used to found a community of believers. And we had no idea. We were youth, we were like ex-hippie youth missionaries over in Wilmington, Delaware, and we had no idea what our future held whatsoever. And he said that, and he said, yeah, he said, it's going to be really filled with the power of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are going to be really in evidence. Then he said, even unto the raising of the dead. And so you guys are the result. You guys are, you know, the, the prophesied community of believers where the Spirit of God is allowed to really move in power. And it either has happened with the raising of the dead or it will. So tell the story about what we yeah. think was a raising of the dead. <laughs> it's kind of hard to miss that, but we're not quite sure. You'll, you'll hear the story. Well, our son a few years ago, some of you know this, fell off of a building and landed on his tool belt and broke his back in, four, in five, four places? Five places, broke his neck, broke his hip, severely lacerated his lungs. And um, Tom Hilferty was his boss. That's a member of the church. Member of the church. And um, he said, I can't remember exactly what he said, but his eyes were glassy and open when he landed. He was not breathing. Wasn't breathing. breathing. He wasn't, Tom could not find a pulse. Um, Tom firmly believes, fully believes that Josh died. And, um, And so he prayed for him. And Josh started reviving. And um, I fully believe that's the truth. My son's not totally sure he died, but I think he did. (laughs) He tends to be confused about a lot of things. (laughs) Oh, don't put that on the tape. (laughs) So so I think that was. Yeah. And I trust Tom. Tom used to be a policeman. He knows this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so... One final thing, he said, the community would be funded by, the, the founding of the community would be funded by your dad's money. Yeah. You want to tell that story? Which was crazy because at that point, my dad and I were estranged. Um, he had um, disowned us when we got married because I married him. And um, I couldn't see how that could happen. Me either. But um, in some re- and he also said that my dad would be saved through a testimony of our lives. Well, at that point, my dad wasn't even saved. He wasn't in touch with me, so how could our testimony of our lives... I mean, it's a long, involved story, but um, he did truly get saved, and it was through something that Bruce and I did, and we didn't even know he knew about it. Someone else told him, and it just amazed him, and so he gave his life to the Lord through my, my aunt and uncle, and um, so he became saved. He and I became extremely close friends at that point. We hadn't been close growing up. We became close, very close friends. And um, when he died, I inherited some money, which that money was used to buy this land. And, um, so these 21 acres were purchased by inheritance. Specifically for a community. Specifically for, for a community. Yeah. We felt the Lord really had his hand on. <laughs> Good. Get that thing out of my way. 
So anyway, the power of prophecy, and it's just incredible because what happens is when you have kind of a, a heads up from the Lord in stuff like that, then, then as your life kind of flows into that, you can give yourself to it. You can really decide with confidence that that's what the Lord wants and, and know you're headed in the right direction. So, so it's very important. Now, there is, this is interesting because as we uh, look at the rest of this scripture, I mean, it's all, it's all related. These four verses are related, having to do with how a church and how individuals in a church handle the spiritual gift, particularly of prophecy, but the spiritual gifts in general. So we've got the first two parts of the instruction, and then we go on to, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. If we go to the second translation, do not treat prophecies with contempt, that's despise not, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject whatever is harmful. By the way, just as an aside, real quickly, in the, New King, in the King James Version, the final um, statement in this four-verse four section uh, reads, instead of abstain from every form of evil, it reads something like abstain from all appearances of evil. And that, that particular scripture has been lifted out of context, which is really a problem in interpreting scripture when you do this. It's lifted out of the context, which is dealing with prophecy, and it's put into the form of how believers ought to be in general in their behavior in every way. And, and it's been used by Christian groups with a kind of a legalistic mindset to, to actually... Um, bind believers from doing anything that anybody would consider possibly evil. And that's really a box. That's really a trap. And it really isn't what the Scripture means. And that's not the nature of our Christian freedom. We're not free to sin, but we are free to follow the Lord in, in how He wants us to be. And that might be different than the way other Christians are also led to be. So, that's the fullness of this. And, 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 and now really consider, again, this is not for our church, because our church, I think, has embraced not quenching the Holy Spirit. And I think we do a pretty, a pretty good job of not quenching the Holy Spirit in this, in this area. But there is a doctrine in Christianity called cessationism. And cessationists believe that with the closing of the canon of the New Testament, that is when all the New Testament letters were assembled and it was judged by the council that did this, did this assembling, which letters were inspired and which letters weren't, then the inspired ones they put together and they completed what we now have as the New Testament in the Bible. And this doctrine holds that when that took place, the, that God lifted the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit away from and out of the church. That because we have the Bible now, the completed Bible, we don't have need for the spiritual gifts. But the spiritual gifts are the manifestation of the power of God. And who can say that we don't need the power of God in operation in the church? We certainly do. And it's, it's not a doctrine that is well established in Scripture. But actually, when you think about it, it's a doctrine, cessationism, that contradicts this. Because what those who hold that belief are doing 
is they are continually quenching, putting out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's go over quickly uh, the three major concepts in this scripture. Quench, despise, and examine. Next slide, please. To quench means to extinguish, stifle, snuff out. I've said this. Two uses of quench in Scripture. Quenching thirst, which is a good thing. Quenching fire, which can be a good or a bad thing, depending on the nature and purpose of the fire. There are various kinds of fires in Scripture. Some are physical, some are spiritual. The ones that are spiritual can either be negative, there's the fire of hell, or positive, there's the fire of the Holy Spirit, God's holy fire. So those three scriptures right there. Actually, the Matthew scripture 9.44 is not correct. Somebody from the first service pointed this out to me. Um, it's actually, well, I have it on my phone, but I don't want to take time to see it. Now, if you want the exact scripture, I can give it to you. But that fire has to do with the fire of hell. The first fire is a physical fire that Daniel and his companions experienced in the fiery furnace. And the, the power of that fire was quenched. Ephesians 6.16, 6, the shield of faith quenches the fiery weapons of the evil one. So that's a negative spiritual fire. And then we have, of course, quench not the Holy Spirit or the fire of the Holy Spirit. So that's a positive fire. That's a godly fire. Again, the study of fire related to God in the Scripture is a very interesting one. And I'm going to be teaching on that this coming Friday night at the Holy Spirit meeting if the Lord permits me to, which I hope he will. Okay, go on to the next slide. So that's quench. Now we go on to despise. We're not supposed to despise the spiritual gifts, particularly prophecy. This word in the Greek, the word despise, is actually a word that means, that comes from the root word meaning nobody or nothing. So what, what Paul is meaning here is when you're despising spiritual gifts, you're thinking that they're nothing. You're not giving them any credibility. You're not giving them any room in your life to make no account of no account, to regard as nothing, to set it not, kind of an old way of saying it, to reject. Here's an example. Romans 14.3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt, look down on, disrespect, or despise the one who does not eat. Galatians 4.13.14, I think this is an interesting scripture because it shows the opposite of despise. Look. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness, says Paul to the church in Galatia, that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. So you did not, you did not reject me on account of my bodily condition. You did not loathe, which means to hate or view with disgust me. But, and here's the opposite, you received me. So instead of rejecting me, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. So that's the opposite, kind of packed into that verse. Despise on the one hand, which means to reject. Receive on the other hand, which means to accept. And so this is the way we're supposed to view the spiritual gifts and prophecy. Not despising, but in fact uh, receiving or accepting them. Okay, so let's look at the third word in this scripture, examine. So, we're not to quench the Holy Spirit, we're not to despise prophecy or the spiritual gifts by extension, and the third thing we're supposed to do is supposed to examine 
all of what's coming to us in prophecy, and we are to receive that which is good, and we are to not receive that which is not good. To test or to prove is the word examine. To conclude is valid by analysis. So this is a uh, uh, really subjecting prophecies to scrutiny. We teach this to you guys, and we teach this to other vineyards as well, about how to receive prophecy at a personal level. So if you receive a personal prophecy, which probably all of you either have done or you, you either have received one or you will receive a prophecy or more than one prophecy if you're in this church. And so it's good to know that, you know, not every prophetic word is going to be 100% totally accurate and totally from God. Now that doesn't mean that you stone the prophetic speaker. No, it means that this isn't the same level of authority as inspired scripture. So it cannot be considered infallible. If it's not infallible, then that means that there's a portion of it that is right and of God and to be received, and maybe a large portion of it. Maybe sometimes all of it is really of God, and you can receive the whole thing. But sometimes there may be things which are off. Now, if something is said publicly to you guys, prophetically, here at the mic on a Sunday morning that is really off, that you could even describe as evil, I guarantee you one of us will stand up and we will let you know. Okay? But what you hear on a Sunday morning here at this church, you will hear prophetic speaking mixed in with exhortations, mixed in with scripture readings, but you'll hear some prophetic speaking and you will almost certainly, when you, when you weigh it, because you'll test it in your spirit, you will conclude that much of it, if not maybe all of it, but most of it, perhaps some of it, you know, is right. It fits you. It fits what God is saying. So you say, yeah. And the other, eh, maybe not so much. Maybe the human speaker has added a little bit of interpretation in there or gone a little far. Scripture says, don't prophesy beyond the measure of your faith. So there's a way that we can kind of go beyond what the Lord is giving to us prophetically and add a little bit of our own stuff. And it's not, it's not like a horrible thing, and, but, but we, we try to minimize that, obviously. We try to be very accurate in representing what the Lord is saying to us. And, and so John Wimber had a way of, of um, speaking about that. He said, eat the meat and spit out the bones. And that's a good way to look at how we receive prophecy. You're not going to get up and storm out of the service because four words didn't seem right to you. No. You receive what is good and you say, well, we'll set that aside and uh, you will let God deal with that. Okay. So let's, um, let's go to the next slide. So what can we take away from this scripture? How does this apply to us? Well, first of all, let's quickly look at this. How do Christians quench the spirit? Well, we've said this. By despising prophecy, number one. Number two, by failing to evaluate prophetic words. All right? And we could probably work on this at the barn, the second part. We can probably get better at receiving the prophetic gifting, looking carefully at it, maybe recording our prophecies and looking carefully. What's the Lord saying? Because the reason the Lord speaks to us is so we can obey Him. And if we're not doing that as fully as we ought to as a church, then we're not receiving the fullness that God wants to give us through the prophetic gift. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Question three, I think. Da da da. Here we go. Question three Why would this be a sin? 
Man. I don't know why they trust me with this high-tech stuff, you know? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. This is awkward. It's okay. I've been embarrassed a lot worse than this in my life. Why would it be a sin? Number one, it denies God the opportunity to speak to us supernaturally, providing him, providing, providing us that personal intimacy of father-son communication, father-child communication between Jesus and his people. So the essence of Christianity, as I understand it, is relationship with the living God. <laughs> And, and, and we speak to him, and he speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. Well, if you cut that out, if you quench that, then you're cutting out, to me, the heart of what it is to be an authentic Christian. Secondly, it denies God the opportunity to build up, guide, encourage, exhort, comfort. These are all functions of prophecy to warn his church directly in a supernatural way, not not in a nasty condemnatory way, but a genuine warning. Danger ahead. Don't go in that direction. Go in this direction. God can do that, and we need that. And finally, not properly testing prophecy would lead people into serious error and or misapplication of what was said. So this could happen, doesn't always happen, but that's why we need to have an examination process for personal prophecy and an examination process for prophecy given to the whole church. Okay, now let's go to the takeaways, the practical takeaways. Number one, if you despise prophecy, if you reject it, even a little, even if you, how about this? How about, well, I believe in prophecy, but I don't necessarily want to hear it from that person. Because I don't really respect or like that person very much. God can speak through a jackass. Just remember that. <laughs> Desire. Desire zealously prophecy and all the gifts of the Spirit. That's the opposite of despising. And test and evaluate prophetic words. Welcome the Spirit's presence as fire. Welcome. Don't be scared of. Man, if I had more time, I could tell you stories of the manifestation of the fire of God in revival. Revival, remember? God on steroids. (laughs) Friday night. Yeah, I want to talk about this. There's been some amazing documented phenomena that are supernatural, that are spiritual, that concern the fire of God. Except the Spirit's, His fire's cleansing, the fire's empowerment, the Spirit's guidance. Ask for His fullness and His fire. The one who comes after me, says John the Baptist, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So to summarize... Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not reject prophecy or the other spiritual gifts, but examine them all, holding fast to that which is good and staying away from that which is not. All right, let's stand together. There is a bake sale 
after the meeting, Abby Duzan, fundraiser for her, so be aware of that. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word that instructs us. Lord, this, these aren't just suggestions in your word. <laughs> these are commands from you. And so, Lord, as a body, we give ourselves to not quenching your spirit, not quenching the operation of your gifts in our midst, Lord. We want to receive the fullness of what you want to give. Lord, as revival heats up all over the globe, we want to do our part. We want to be a burning fire of your spirit here in this tri-state region in the same way that you're going to do the exact same thing in thousands and thousands of hot spots of revival all across the earth. And so, Lord, let your spirit come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. It's being done in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So anybody need healing on my left, prophetic ministry on my right, all other general concerns right here in the middle. God bless you guys. Thank you.